All right, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome in to episode three of Kayfabe Council, the show where we review and critique news topics and segments in the world of professional wrestling. My name is Pretty Tony, and alongside me, as always, is TF Joker. Joker, what's the crack? Ah, the crack is 90, as always, PT. I love it. Not quite as good a day as last week. I'm very sleepy today. Has made me somewhat grumpy. But other than that, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay myself. Also, uh, I've been having some rough sleep, but, you know, there was... Uh, from what I calculated, about 15 hours of wrestling this past week to get through. <laughs> so I don't know if that had anything to do with it, me trying to fit it all in. But uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been an, it's been a heck of a week for sure. If we if we kind of count out how many hours of good wrestling there were, then maybe there wasn't actually any disruption to the sleep. Yeah, it's one of those you can only see it in hindsight. If if I mm, could predict. Yeah. I can only watch the good wrestling, then maybe I can only watch three or four hours over the course of the week, as opposed to a week with a pay-per-view that would consist of me having to watch 15 hours. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But nonetheless, glad you're doing well, and thank you for coming along on this journey with me. And for everyone else, this is, again, episode three, and thank you guys so much for checking us out in audio form and video and video form as well for so thank you guys so much for uh giving us a chance thank you so much as a reminder you can find us in video form at youtube.com slash kayfabe council and in audio form wherever you get your podcasts from on this week's episode we look at mjf frustrated with aew double or nothing thoughts and takeaways and Helena Cell predictions. But coming up first, MJF frustrated with AEW. This has been quite the interesting story this past week with a lot of is it a shoot? Is it a work? Is it a worked shoot? Is it a shoot worked? Lots of stuff going on, so. Uh, what were your initial impressions when you started to hear a lot about what was going on, Joker? Ha, well, <clears throat> my, my initial impressions of this entire angle have been MJF is m one of, if not my favorite personality in wrestling today. I say personality because... That encompasses his in-ring work and it encompasses his promos and it encompasses the stories he's done and who he interacts with. I felt like he has been one of, if not my, the be-all and end-all for, uh, for me when it comes to top personalities in wrestling today. So when there was a little bit of reporting going on just before Double or Nothing uh, that... Our good friend Maxwell Jacob Friedman, Friedman had uh, purchased, booked a flight um, away. You know, he had he'd skipped out on his uh, on his uh, appearances before the Double or Nothing pay per view. Oh dear, says everyone. Uh, what about all his commitments? Did he renege on all these commitments? However, will he manage 
the fan backlash was in turmoil, or maybe it was just, huh, wonder what's going on there. I'm pretty sure it was the latter, because that's how I was thinking. I never personally saw the booked ticket for the plane. Uh, it was only reported by absolutely everybody, so call me a cynic if you want, but it was it was pretty heavily worked that um that we were just going to have to believe that this was uh this was a nice little plane ticket being purchased uh when it clearly wasn't he was going to turn up there was no doubt in my mind personally that he was uh going to turn up but i did um i did maybe have a little bit of doubts cast this past week as a result of that um because obviously the result of the match was what we had expected. You know, they they uh they gave Wardlow the win, they gave him the 10 power bombs, 10 plus power bombs on Maxwell. They obviously the running around the rope of dope, the kind of uh what was it you call it? The the WCW kind of uh running around. Yeah. Um so they gave him that whole thing and eventually got the win, stretched him off. Give him the neck race. Everybody rides off into the sunset because Maxwell's off TV. That's how I thought it was going to be. And my initial thought was he's going to come back on TV. He's going to be wearing a neck brace, start something new. Um, Yeah, it was interesting. This promo he had. Yeah, for sure. So as uh, Joker mentioned, the conjecture and the sort of blurring the lines began this past weekend on Saturday when he no-showed his... Uh, meet and greets, followed by speculation again, as Joker mentioned, that there is a flight booked under his name uh, out of Las Vegas. And then, of course, flash forward to the next day, Sunday, he ends up having the match with uh, Wardlow, of course. Uh, Wardlow winning, and and then uh, we see him stretchered out, of course. Cut to Dynamite this past week, where we get quite the promo from MJF. Uh, so I'll kick into it here. Uh, we have MJF uh, entering uh, through uh, the entrance there as well, uh, doing his normal entrance. He grabs a mic. He says he's in a lot of pain. He's going to talk, but it's Max Friedman talking. A lot of executives here for the merger, of course, that being uh, Time Warner and Discovery uh, for those. Uh, but to be ashamed to be embarrassed. I've uh, been trying to sit down with MJF. Uh, Tony's been trying to sit down with MJF for a while to hash things out. But it's too little, too late. When the company started, it was all friends wrestling. Everyone got handed a ticket, but Max had to write his own. He created moment after moment, but still got no respect. No one, on, no one is on his level. Everything he touches turns to gold. There is nothing he can't do. He's not uh, expected to hit home runs, but he's expected to hit grand slams, and he does it on a weekly basis. And the rest of the boys can settle for being great, while Max, the 26-year-old, has to be perfect under the microscope as he is the only guy capable of carrying the company on his back like he's done for months. So hot start to that promo. Everything he said was absolute fire. And completely true. Because you have these guys who are on our TVs for a few weeks, 
cutting decent promos, doing decent things. They're getting themselves over, you know, you have some who maybe aren't so good at the promos, so they have someone else and they, they bask in the aura of stings. Not saying Darby Allen's a terrible promo, I'm just saying he has the added bonus of having a sting there. Or right. you have, you know, the private party had uh, Matt, Matt Hardy. Hardy at the starty. Uh, Matt Hardy at the starty, yeah, sure. Matt I Hardy like at it. the start. I like it. <laughs> Miss speaking there, but it'll work, sure. Um, and then you have all these other people who maybe had the leg up. Max has kind of come up and he's uh he's sort of uh pushed himself into being affiliated with Chris Jericho. Um it, he he pushed himself into the uh the Cody the Cody juncture, um, where that's kind of how he sort of started for me. Like that's where I really got to know who MJF was. And yeah, he he created these moments. Like I was like, who the hell is this MJF guy? Like, why why is he here? I don't know him. And then he just started cutting promos, started being really, really uh, obnoxious. And I was like, top hail, top hail right here. Incoming, watch this space. Yeah, he, he he did, he worked that. He he wrote his own ticket. He didn't uh he didn't necessarily always, in my view, hit the Grand Slam. Um not really knowing what baseball is, I really don't know if I don't I don't know, Max. I don't know what you're trying to get at. You did a good thing, anyway. Um, he he did on occasion do some really good stuff. On some occasions, I was like, eh, it was all right, was okay. Um, but yeah, everything he said here was absolute fire, and the vitriol, the passion, and it really got better. Yeah. Of course, Max hears booze and clapping. Says, where were you this weekend when everyone was calling him an unprofessional POS? The boys in the back want his spot? Well, they can have it because he doesn't want to be here anymore. Talk about fans? You're not fans. You're uneducated marks. Sitting there on your phones tweeting your opinions like they are worth a darn, excuse me, uh, and they don't know why, and they don't know ish. Uh, your opinions suck? Change on a drop of a dime, pretending your new ones are the old ones, saying MJF sucks in the ring because he's not untrained, he doesn't watch New Japan Pro Wrestling, he doesn't dump his opponents on his head because he's, he's not reckless, not chasing star ratings. How, uh, how can he be the best? He is the best. And you'll only get this reaction from me if you're watching on the YouTube because I am nodding my head in fervor right now, just agreeing to everything that he is saying. And while he was saying, I was hanging on his every word, like, this is a really good promo. Like, this is this is peeling back that curtain. This is this is not only peeling back the curtain, but this is like ripping it away. This is not just like, oh, come and take a look into the into the world. Like as fans, these days we kind of see into the backstage with the vlogs, with the tweets, with everything else. But this is like he's talking to Tony Khan here. He is talking to the fans. He is talking to the boys in the back. You know, he is legitimately airing grievances that everybody has been reporting for weeks that Maybe it's all a work. Maybe it's all a shoot. Maybe it is, like you said, everything else is a work shoot, etc., etc. He calls the fans marks. 
and he 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 just spouts this vitriol about where were you? And I can you know I can legitimately say that for the first time ever, whenever he did this promo, that I was sat there going, "Wasn't me, Max. I have your back. I didn't know you from day dot, but you made me a fan, and I have got your back. You got this. You top of the card in my heart. But you know we just gotta get we just got a bit gotta get that big TK to sign that checkbook." Because everything I was just like, just MJF being MJF, this promo just went, give them on the money. Don't care. He continues on here. He's the only guy that makes you feel unlike the other boys. He doesn't want to have to do BS to get you there. He's a generational talent that the fans consistently take for granted, but he also is the, uh, also the big man in the back. Uh, MJF is the second minute-to-minute draw in the company. Ask stat boy Tony in the back, uh, but don't ask him to reach into his pocket and pay the man who's been busting his ass since day one. Make sure he hoards that money to give it to all the ex-WWE guys that he keeps bringing in that can't lace his GD boots. The crowd goes nuts. I went nuts. I don't know if there was anybody on the internet that did not go nuts when... He said uh, he has to use that money for the ex-WWE guys. And then he said, hey, Tony, if I was an ex-WWE guy, would you pay me more? Like, what? That, the, that little interaction just blew my GD mind. Yeah. It blew it so far apart because I was like, Okay, I thought there was I thought there was the unwritten rule of the other company, you know, that place over there, that sort of vernacular being used for this, but he just came straight out and said it. And it was um it was interesting the uh the kind of nuclear heat that went on. And then follows that up with says, Hey boss, would you like would you treat me better again if you if I were an ex WWE guy? Boss has a position in a wrestling company, but the only position he should have is behind the guardrail with all the fans. MJF doesn't want to wait till 2024, he, and then he proceeds to ask Tony Khan to fire him, and the mic cuts out. Yeah, he, um, he also calls him expletive Mark. That is correct, you yes. Know, he, he 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 does he does have a few expletives in this promo. It was very heated, like I said, and he calls Tony Khan a uh, Jeff and Mark. Yep. And you're just okay, dude. I don't know how many times a billionaire has been targeted um by anyone other than the top star. And you know, for argument's sake. Let us just say MJF is not the guy, okay? There have been in the Fed, in WWE, in the NF, um, where you had uh, The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, two huge talents going on the mic and calling out Vincent Kennedy McMahon at the time. And, you know, those guys were seen as untouchable. Max technically sorry buddy don't don't shoot the messenger i'm just kind of pointing out facts i know he won't see this but still gotta cover my butt pt not quite there in terms of stone cold and the rock 
So to see this vitriol, this sort of venom, this absolute hatred come from uh, MJF directed at him at his boss uh, was interesting to say the least. Yeah, we've seen this peeling back of the curtain or this kind of inside baseball, if you will, moment, uh, of course, here on Dynamite this past week. Um, We've seen shades of it before. Uh, We've seen it in WCW with Eddie Guerrero calling out uh, Eric Bischoff, you know, uh, about not getting opportunities. We've seen, uh, of course, the loose cannon with Brian Pillman calling out uh, the booker and he says, go ahead and just fire me type of thing. Obviously, you have elements of uh, Stone Cold bumping up against the boss, Vince McMahon, as you mentioned before. Uh, and then, of course, what folks sort of are liking it more to uh, is the quote-unquote pipe bomb from CM Punk. You know, the sort of, um, is uh, the shoot becomes a work, you know, the peeling back of the curtain, being real, making references type of thing. So I, I feel like... It's one of those things, and even Tony Khan in an interview previously says he doesn't mind when you can bring sort of real life or those kind of real situations into the story or into the television show as it makes for good television. So we're definitely having elements of that coming into play, especially with what MJF is just kind of being real, talking as Max as opposed to Maxwell. I'm glad you mentioned the pipe bomb because in our earlier discussion I did say I was going to go back and have we look at it. Um, and the pipe bomb starts out with Punk interfering in a match with uh, with John Cena. Yeah, John he interfered at the end the the end of that match and put yeah. through a table. Of course. Um, so John Cena is laid out in the middle of this 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 ring and Punk walks up to the top of the the, the ramp and uh, takes a seat. You know, has a little sit down. And starts talking rather calmly, but he he is he is uh, incensed. He is annoyed, um, and he's talking about how John Cena's not the best, how he's the best, um, how he's going to walk away with his title in three weeks' time because that's when his contract ends, and maybe he'll go to New Japan, maybe he'll return to Ring of Honor, um, things like this. Here, you know, he he's. Even uh, this was done a little bit before their uh, their unfortunate falling out, but he even uh, gives a shout out to Colt Cabana. He says hi, Colt Cabana, and looks directly down the camera. Um, and uh, you know, there there was there was there can be some uh, comparisons made. Comparisons made, yeah, that's the word. Thank you. Um, right. Like there can't be some comparisons made there, but I feel like this was also out of place, uh, in the sense that his contract is up in twenty twenty four. It's very public knowledge that, that is that is the case. He has he has previously stated the Maxwell Jacob Friedman bidding wars are going to be the hottest thing of twenty twenty four, and we kind of all agreed with him because we could only saw his stock rising, so. CM Punk's pipe bomb uh, talked about the 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 butt kissing, as it were. I know one's better than Dwayne uh, and stuff like this. Here, um, he didn't make reference to any butt kissing going on. MJF is, uh, but he did 
just kind of starts screaming that he wanted to be fired. Um, and then his mic cut out, which is the similar, which is where the kind of similarities really peak uh, because they were both interrupted. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if you can call this a pipe bomb because it was one of those things that what is it really a surprise that Max did this? I don't think it's a surprise personally that he came out and vented his frustrations. The fact that he did it this week, maybe you can quantify that as a surprise, but he has been uh, saying for weeks that he is disgruntled, he's annoyed with with, uh, with Tony. Even in his match against Wardlow, he did the airplane motion. He just ran around the ring with the with the arms out, you know. So he's very mocking and sort of kind of already checked out, as it were. Um, so I feel like this was more of a ticking time bomb that just kind of went off, uh, as opposed to, um, well, Punk just kind of interrupted in the middle of a, a normal. Uh, a normal show before the pay-per-view, before his contract was about to end. Max has got two years. Like, I don't I don't know the sort of frustrations Max has are warranted, in my opinion. But at the same time, boy, you should have got a better contract. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, you speak about the promo itself. Like, the... I've always under... The I wouldn't say assumption, but I'm always under the belief rather that a promo, right? Uh, the aim of a good a promo or the aim of a good promo is to work towards something to sell sell the fans, put the butts in seats, right? You mentioned the Punk's pipe pipe bomb promo back in 2011. Uh, worked shoot obviously, but he was building towards, if you recall, like you know, in this Sunday, I'm gonna take the the WWE title away from you at the pay-per-view and, uh, you know, and, and type of thing. So, you know, he's working towards something. My, my thoughts about the comparisons, you know, with the pipe bomb, obviously you get little elements of that, um, uh, pulling back the curtain, you know, I akin to more of it of, uh, like the, the Brian Pillman, Eddie Guerrero thing more, a little bit more than the CM Punk element. But, um, where are we where are we going towards? What's the payoff? Are we going to have MJF versus Tony Khan? Do we have Tony Khan become a on screen authority figure? Which I do not want at all. Absolutely not. No. You know, Same. like what? Basically, like what's in in terms of the television show? In terms of the story, what's the payoff? You know, I agree. Yeah, I I just can't see that payoff, and I just hope that payoff is not Tony Khan. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want Tony Khan the character. Like, little snippets we see of Tony Khan, uh, you know, escorting Martha Hart out to the ring, uh, doing the odd uh, stupid promo. I've got a big announcement. Like, that's that's billionaire Tony Khan. The guy we know is is a big fan of wrestling. What is what do you what do you think the big the big payoff should be like? You think this is mistimed? Is this is this seriously mistimed in the sense of MJF's promo uh, being cut two years before uh, his contract ends? Like the week after the, the the show after the pay per view, kind of mistimed a little bit, a lot of bit. Here's here's where my mind's at. I feel like we are 
trying to make lemonade from lemons. We have this thing that came up in real life, obviously. All right, now, you know, a bit of a shoot. Now we're, now we've, obviously this was, you know, a strong worked promo. So we're bringing the elements into it. All right, makes it exciting for television, gets fans interested. Um, now what I see as a sort of pseudo reactionary thing, I see us now working towards uh, MJF and Punk for a title shot. I, f I feel like I feel like this is now the finish line. So we had the we had the um the dog collar match for them, obviously previously. And uh, you think the payoff is going to be this uh, CM Punk losing the title to MJF, or I don't know. I mean, my thoughts before we'll get into the pay per view in the next segment, but uh, I had originally hangman page winning and then obviously because of their elongated history mjf taking the title from him but now obviously with punk being the champion and um and him now being hurt which we'll also speak a little bit to in, in later in this in uh the show here i can see him down the road them facing off because again now they have history and there's some type of thing so um if we're working towards if things get worked out before before punk comes back obviously again which we'll speak to then i can see them having a match i don't know if he's going to win the title but i can i feel like now that can be a landing spot for this angle so we do have another sort of thing which we probably will end up touching on is the whole battle royale uh, aspect that's been announced because in the time that we had our you know, pre-show conversations we talked about uh, the stuff we're going to go over on the show before the show happens and and us actually starting recording, I did see another tweet that I kind of liked the idea of, um, where the individual had mentioned some other absolute nonsense that I didn't like, but at the very start of it was, MJF appears in the Battle Royale on yeah. Wednesday, and wins versus Mox, goes mm -hmm. on to Forbidden Door, and then he becomes the new interim AW Championship uh, title holder. And there's not a damn thing Tony Khan could do about it. Adding layers to the story. And I think, honestly, if he comes out uh, to, you know, the, the, the Burberry screen, the, the, the MJF music, the big pop, I don't know how they're doing the Battle Royale, whether it's 15, whether it's 30, uh, how long it's going to be, whether or not they're going to do, you know, staggered entrance Royal Rumble style or whatever they're doing. But, you know, this is the thing that we're going to have to find out. Um, but that just kind of gripped me. I was like, could this be the, um, the pay, could this be the payoff that we're, we're sort of working towards this angle of, uh, there's nothing you can do. I am going to hold your company to ransom now. Yeah, that can be an interesting development in the story. And obviously we're going to learn more about the story as we as the weeks to come and as more things come out and a little bit of additional information as well so following dynamite this past week um, we have uh, a note here that mjf was removed from the introductory video from last night's rampage and is expected to be cut from future openings for aew dynamite and all aew programming this is the latest move by AEW to distance themselves from the salt of the earth. Comes after MJF was removed from the roster page and had his merchandise pulled 
from awshop.com. Work. We're getting worked. Like, it hot. Like, that was super, super quick. Um, now, there, there is an argument to be made that the recent, uh, the recent WWE issues surrounding Sasha and Naomi, uh, where they too have been replaced. Well, Sasha Banks, more importantly, has been replaced on their entry role by Cody Rhodes. Um, and their merchant stuff has been pulled off. That can also be said that, you know, it's, it's a bit of a similar, it's a bit of a mirror move here um, because he has clearly disappointed the fans. So is he going to, um, is he going to be sort of treated like that? Um, but, and this is just me because I, I don't really care about the intros i wouldn't have noticed that he was gone if you hadn't have told me much like i wouldn't have noticed sasha banks was gone from the wwe intro until i was told because i don't watch the intros that's just me though the uh the merch is another another story completely uh, i'm being removed from the roster pages though so yep remains to be seen as what will happen going forward Obviously, we're getting a little bit real, and like we said, pulling back the curtain a little bit, and we'll see how this plays out. But on to our next topic here. We have double or nothing thoughts and takeaways. So overall, uh, this past Sunday's double or nothing, I thought was a, a strong show for the most part. Uh, it was a very long show, 13 matches about four and a half or so hours on the main show, about an hour's worth of content on the buy-in. Of course, that only had one match, so quite the, quite the marathon here. Uh, but for us, we're going to just pick uh, a few of the, uh, the moments that we thought were sort of highlights, if you will. Um, of course, mentioning uh, the Wardlow versus MJF match, uh, I thought it was apropos, obviously, of Wardlow winning the match, and bookending that storyline and for it to come to a close i thought it had uh i thought it went it went well 10 power bombs mgf being stretched out yeah definitely I, I believe we both had in our prediction show last week we both had uh wardlow going over on this it was definitely not a disappointment um if memory serves right it was actually the first match on the yes it did the- open the card that is correct it opened the card, which I thought was really good um, because it gives you that sort of, um, if we remember from a few years ago, uh, the Brock Lesnar, uh, Seth Rollins going on first vibe, uh, where Brock Lesnar was pissed he wasn't getting in the main event at the end of the show, so had to go on first. Um, kind of gives me that vibe, sort of big importance, um, really good uh, sort of uh, feel to that. And uh, Maxwell just running around the ring, having to be caught, and then you know, so I'll, I'll pay you. Was it he said, I'll pay you four times your your size? He's like, yeah, sure. Holds out his hand, and everybody's just like, you effed up, you effed up. And yeah. you're just like, oh, this this is this is the beginning of the end right here. And yeah, he took that first power bomb, and he sold it. Like he he just took it. He took the the next nine ten power bombs. Um, and I, I did like the little touch where Wardlow went to pin him around the five mark, I think it was, 
And then he just kind of took his foot off me. Nah, mm-hmm. I'm not done with him. And rolled him up again and just kept on going. And um, yeah, the uh, he was given the, the write-off TV sort of treatment, which clearly didn't work, but um, it was a very satisfying end to another word, another, an otherwise satisfying story. Absolutely. I think I mentioned it on last week's episode that uh, for the majority of the time, AEW does make the sort of right call when it comes to storyline, the sort of, you know, the the appropriate ending, if you will, on uh, matches and kind of bookending those things. And I think, yes, they we got give the fans what they want. Um, mm. It's the best friends aren't on TV. Uh, but we got we got Wardlow, of course, winning and being freed from MJF's employment and a very nice touch at the end. Uh, walks up to the ramp. Uh, quick interview with Tony Schiavone, but fans are cheering and we get the graphic. Wardlow is now all elite. So that was uh, that was a nice touch. And he just sits there, puts his hand together and says, thank you so much. Very, very humble. Yeah, it was uh, it was very uh, heartwarming, even for this old shriveled uh, cold heart of mine to see him stand at the top of that rampway uh, and have Wardlow as all elite and, you know, see him burst into tears and thank everybody. I'm actually, I'm actually feeling the emotion right now, even thinking about it, because I really enjoyed that nice little touch. As much as I, I love MJF, Wardlow has been, uh, Wardlow has definitely been one of the standouts as a, as a sort of, uh, as a builder, is sort of, they've built him from the ground up into this sort of powerhouse unit it's been held down um, by the uh, by the boss man, and uh, he's broken free. It's almost sort of um, it's almost sort of uh, foreshadowing Max's story. Uh, if you can nearly, if you can, if you can stretch your mind that far, where the employee is stuck under the heel of the of the. Um, the evil boss and the evil boss eventually gets their comeuppance and um takes 10 power bombs and then uh you know takes has a has a neck brace so um it's almost uh it's almost foreshadowing in a in a sort of twisted sense yeah definitely we see a little little elements in there but um we have a tiny follow-up on dynamite here uh Ordlow has a squash match against jd drake but then uh, smart mark comes out and is then served papers to, or a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit to Wardlow against the, I forget the exact verbiage, but the uh, Security Guards Association, essentially, for all of uh, them being beaten up in the weeks leading up to the match. So looks like we might get a little bit of ska in the next uh, storyline for Wardlow, but at least we have character development. Yeah, a little bit of a bridge component between this and the next sort of uh, story. We can't just go straight into Wardlow going back on the jobber scene, getting all these wins in. Uh, we got to have a sort of bit of a bridge there where he will probably eventually get his hands on Smart Mark. Uh, Tony Nice may be brought in. Um, obviously, Tony Nice being another. Uh, Another client of Smart Mark, um, so we'll probably see something, something in there where he's going to fight for them. And um, if you if you beat Tony Nice, then we'll drop the charges. Um, 
that kind of nonsense. But I, I did like that uh, Mr. Tony Skiavone, as Jericho calls him, um, he was in the ring with Wardlow, giving him all these props, and then Wardlow kind of takes the microphone off of Tony as he's leaving. And um, he goes, somebody clearly doesn't watch the product. <laughs> it's like, good boy. Good boy. Uh, because that was that was just kind of funny as for me. It was uh, it was something that um, we then saw play out whenever he power bombed. Did he did he power bomb the guy? Power yeah, JD Drake. Ring, I right? think it was like twice or so. Yeah. So. Oh no, I mean the 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 security guard in the ring, like because he got served the he got served the, the paper by the guy in the ring, and then he just ripped it up and did he punch him or did he power bomb? Him? I can't remember which one it was. I but... don't recall, but I think yeah, he just he put his hands on him regardless. So he definitely yeah. was assaulted him. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Uh, yeah, it was it was funny. It was a nice little tie, a nice little bridge, like I said. Yeah, I agree. So uh, we'll get to see more of Mordlow's personality going forward. Uh, the next match we have here is the Hardys versus the Young Bucks, which, of course, the Hardys uh, prevailed over the Young Bucks. I did have note here that Jeff looked significantly slowed in the match, um, and we find out later on on Matt Hardy's podcast uh, that essentially Jeff was knocked uh, silly. He was knocked loopy early on in the match, and we probably see that. That might have been potentially the whisper in the wind spot because he immediately basically tags out, and then he's just sitting in the uh, in the corner there. So it could have happened potentially on that. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, he looked in rough shape, and essentially uh, the other three men in the match had to basically help remember and call the spots for Jeff. So... It definitely was um sort of thing that uh I I noticed after the fact. Um because while I enjoyed the match, it definitely did take a marked downturn whenever, you know, it was Matt holding up the team for the Hardys. Um it, it, I I I don't a hundred percent know what spot it was that got him. But it could have been that whisper in the wind spot, like you said. Um, it's just the risks that these high flyers take, and uh, a further reason why um, I'm not a I'm not always a huge fan of spots uh, in these sort of frantic uh, matches because the, ma- the the match was kind of frantic in places, um, and I felt like Jeff adds to that um, frenetic sort of energy and. Um, definitely uh was slowed down an awful lot so hopefully he is you know he got all of the uh attention that he needed the medical attention i know that after the match he just hopped the guardrail walked around and left and you you did see matt was in the ring kind of going you know a wee bit he was a bit questioning where's my brother going um and at least we got the answers he was knocked uh quite solidly on the head yeah we had there was conjecture coming into the match that um that jeff was a little bit banged up you know in the weeks leading into the match uh they'd had the uh, like a tables match with red dragon obviously the big match for the owen cup with darby had a lot of spots uh relatively short match with adam cole coming into uh that match uh at double or nothing so he may not have been 100%, and then, of course, just him being being knocked out, you know, 
Again, kudos to uh, the three other guys in the match, Matt Hardy, Matt Jackson, and Nick Jackson, again, for helping continue that. But, you know, it it's a little scary. You know, we know more about concussions now. So where where do we kind of sort of draw the line maybe a little bit? Not to be on a high horse, but again, is it... Is it up to the company to protect these guys? You know, if the guy if he's knocked out, you know, and he's just on not with necessarily wobbly legs, but he's in, you know, nobody's nobody's home essentially, and you get that look in your eye, like, do we stop the match? Do we pull him? Type of thing. They continued, but you know, I think it's 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 concerning, and and as we know, Jeff for the past, well, basically thirty years has taken so much risks, and you know, he's getting up there in age. I feel like you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there uh, when you said that we know an awful lot more about uh, concussions. Um, CTE protocol needs to be adhered to in all forms of athletic endeavors. Uh, concussions are no joke. Uh, brain damage is no joke. Uh, these individuals need to have a quality of life outside of wrestling. Once wrestling is done with them, I know it sounds really callous, but once wrestling is done with them, uh, they need to have a quality of life that will allow them to go on and live a lifestyle that will allow them to be with their families. Uh, CTE protocol, concussion protocol, is um, one of these things that has been put into place through rigorous testing and, sadly, many deaths. It is that big a deal that uh, the brain damage that these sort of things can and will do to an individual will end up in some severe cases leading to loss of life. So, in my opinion, the match should have been called, or at least the match should have been called for Jeff. Jeff should have been escorted to the back and seen to by medical professionals right there and then. Um, I know that's not what people would want, but personally, for me, I would prefer um, not the drama of thinking, oh dear, is he going to be okay? Is he dazed? Is he going to, you know, is he going to be okay? That to me is on the responsibility of the promotion to look after their talent, their individuals, so that then they selfishly can make more money off them down the long run. Yeah, I, I'm always on the side of the worker and I, I, want these guys when they're when their time in the spotlight is done again to have a life after and we've seen guys like um you know uh terry funk and mcfoley just you know it's hard for them to walk for example so you know i i want these guys to to make their money these guys and gals i want them to make their money and and you know be able to to be okay and to live after so i agree um and then we see on the follow-up to pay-per-view on dynamite at a big 10 man tag but uh jeff was pulled from the matchup so uh, again good good on aw to at least you know pull the reins back a little bit and uh, and at least just sort of protect him in and even in just the smallest of moment for the follow-up match better late than never all right, moving on to the next match, we had the uh, six-man tag of the House of Black versus the Death Triangle. Absolute incredible match. Lots of, I mean, uh, to quote Kalisto, some good lucha things. Um, 
and just all around just fun fun matchup crazy spots i do have a note here that we do finally get the payoff of course to the julia hart uh, storyline where she played a factor in interfering causing malachi black to then pin Pac. yeah we we saw on the lead up to this uh where house of black was sort of taking the taking the lead in the match they'd had all their their big um all their big spots you know brody uh was in there he was absolutely dominating everybody what an absolute unit that man is cannot wait to see him in some singles action and then uh they had buddy murphy i believe thrown to the outside first followed by brody king um and uh eventually it works up to um Pack going to go for the black arrow or the 450, whatever it was. We don't know because the lights go out and the lights come back up and Julia Hart is stood there in front of him. And from a tweet on her Twitter, uh, she had mentioned the last words out of uh, Pack's mouth were, what the F are you doing here? Or something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing the tweet. Um, but yeah, absolutely amazing before she spoke. Bits the mist into his eyes, falls down. Malachi Black gets the pin. House of Black, as they say, the house always wins. And I cannot wait because I really do like this stable. I really do like all three, uh, all three talent in there that are current uh, active wrestlers. Um, and uh, yeah, this finally, finally, the Julia Hart resolution. To that uh, stop, start, six month, I've got a really sore eye thing. Yeah, I again, absolutely whopper of a match. Complete banger. Um, I do appreciate, one, like we said, the payoff to the Julia Hart uh, long-term storytelling. We get the follow-up on Dynamite, where they, again, uh, reiterate that the house always wins. And we have Julia Hart there. So I definitely like to see... She's a promising young talent, so we'll see if she can maybe moved on from the Varsity Blondes cheerleader piece, have a little bit different gimmick and a little bit different storyline to be able to see what she can kind of sink her teeth into on that aspect. And again, to take nothing away from uh, Pac and uh, Lucha Bros, uh, but the follow-up on Rampage is we had a uh, tag match with the Lucha Bros facing... Uh, the Young Bucks, again, which is another incredible match, as always. Yeah, I, I feel like there was a stat thrown out. I can't remember. It was, a ten, was it 10 matches that these two have had in recent times? Before um, before Rampage, rather, I'm sorry. Before Rampage. Uh, it was, uh, I think it was about eight matches, and the Lucha Brothers were about five and three or something. For that They've won thing. five, yeah, yeah. Like, so. the Lucha Bros had won five of these matches. I, I, I just, my mind is cast back to that Steel Cage match with uh, with the shoe, um, the evil pin shoe, which was uh, which was amazing. The shoes on the tack. Uh, the shoes and the tack, the tacks and the shoe, uh, which was absolutely amazing. Uh, one of the best steel cage matches I think there ever will be um, with a tag team in there. And uh, yeah, this this match uh, definitely had a lot of, like you said, lucha stuff, lucha things going on. Um, and it was a very, very good match. And 
the payoff having uh, Pantascuro and Ray Phoenix fight the Young Bucks. I mean, I, I don't I don't really see how that's a bad thing. Yeah, it's never never bad when you can get these two phenomenal tag teams. Uh, of course, Lucha Bros and, and the Young Bucks. Of course, it's a follow up to an incredible six man tag. And like we will reiterate again, all six guys in there are just absolute beasts of athletes. And it was evident again a potential uh, match of the night there, contender for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, the next match we're looking at is the three-way dance for the AW Tag Team Championship, Jurassic Express, Team Taz, and of course, uh, Swerve in the Glory, Keith Lee, and uh, Swerve Strickland. Uh, again, this was another incredible <laughs> tag team match with uh, just crazy bumps and back and forth and Awesome power spots with with Hobbs and and Lee and Luchasaurus. Obviously, the agile nature of Jungle Boy, Ricky Starks, as well as Swerve Strickland. Uh, But we do, in the end, as both of us were wrong in our predictions, seeing Jurassic Express retain the championship. Yeah, um... As a, as a saying my mother used to, to say to me, and I, I like to adopt it every now and again, I might not always be right, but I'm never wrong. I will come good in the end here, PT. I will have Team Taz win those tag titles, and I will have my Christian freaking heel turn, I tell you what. But uh, yeah, it was very surprising. This match was super good. Um... I I really enjoy the dynamic between Hobbs, uh, Keith Lee, and Luchasaurus because we'd seen we'd seen the High Flyers like literally the week before the match before uh, had Jungle Boy, Swerve, and Ricky Starks all fighting against each other, but like these three big boys just coming together, and I remember. What was it? One of I think it was the the uh, whenever Keith Lee debuted, he debuted in that um, uh, in whatever match he did that he just pushed Powerhouse Hobbs off a off the off the stage into the grates and stuff, and then walked back and you know whatever. It, it, I know it doesn't sound like an awful lot of, of of really cool like commentary, but just it's just Powerhouse Hobbs. He's a big boy. He is a brute. He's a wall of meat. And he's fantastic. And to see him grow has been amazing, just like Wardlow. And I can't wait for the day that Wardlow and Hobbs are are fighting over championships, I tell you that. But to see Keith Lee manhandle this big meat wall and Luchasaurus is just... It was brilliant. It It was probably more fun for me to watch that than uh than to honestly watch Death Triangle versus High Supply. Yeah, as Big E would say, uh, big beefy boys slapping meat, as you said. Yep. Um again, as as much as we saw a preview, like you mentioned on the go home dynamite of the uh three uh lightweight competitors for their teams. But yes, we did get to see uh some more spots again from Keith Lee Powerhouse Hobbs and Luchasaurus in this particular matchup, uh, you know, to your point about seeing the maturation of Powerhouse Hobbs, he's not to say that he wasn't in shape before, but he's he's getting uh, he's getting a little bit more jacked, baby. 
and uh, just really filling out with his character now, feeling a little bit more comfortable in his in his Team Taz setting and his partnership with Ricky uh, Ricky Starks. Uh, so to see him, he's definitely a a prospect. Uh, probably moving on from prospect status into you know uh, definitely a mid card guy that we definitely see with some potential. And and it's really great to see a spotlight put up on you have the strong established stars, but then also having, you know, the up and coming, you know, you're building stars, which we see uh, in this matchup quite a lot of up and coming uh, talent in, once again, in this matchup. So I once again will agree with you. Looking forward to seeing more from these six individuals. And trust me when I say I will come right on this. Team Taz is going to hold those championships. And Christian will turn heel. I can see I can see both of those things happening as well. All right. And the last piece that we will cover from Double or Nothing, of course, is the world championship matchup between CM Punk and champion Hangman Page. A lot of back and forth we've we've seen in the lead up as well of them uh, doing some jaw jacking, some promo work, kind of goading one another. And uh, we saw in the matches before this pay-per-view, of course, each man using their opponent's finishers on their opponents in the match, uh, respectively. Of course, we see a bit of this and some blocking and some attempts, but at the end, we see Hangman decide to not hit Punk with the World Heavyweight Championship for a knocked-out referee, Paul Turner. That comes back to sort of bite him as he counters the buckshot lariat punk into the GTS, gets the three count, and we crowned a new AW World Champion in CM Punk. This this little ending to uh, to the story here um, kind of has me wondering: what if, what if Hangman had decided to go? Oof. And hit Punk in the head with that title. Could we have seen Hangman for hold hold the title for another six months, another eight months, whatever it is? Maybe, yeah. Like it would have been pretty fun to see him have a heel turn and you know say, you know, do an almost MJF style of heel turn. Like I've played you all along and you know, I was like, come on, I had to defend AEW from him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It would have been super cool. But, you know, the the fact that we've had some time to sort of think about this and let it mature, let it breathe, um, it was good end to a mediocre run. But I do not think that Hangman's run was able to have all the legs under it. Because like I mentioned before, how do you follow Kenny Omega? How do you follow... Uh, the cleaner who went on a run of taking everybody's belts. Um, so how do you follow that? He was already at a disadvantage. Um, so his his career will not be marred by the fact that he had an unsuccessful first run with the belt. He will have plenty more, and I will enjoy seeing them in the future, I am sure. Um, but Punk winning wasn't anything that was going to uh, prove me wrong in this one. It was 100% guaranteed certainty. He was going to win it. Yeah, we saw a lot of 
sort of storyline elements again you mentioned it being a tough act to follow with kenny omega for sure um guy you don't have an easy job fo- following wrestler of the year numerous uh awarded numerous times for sure and it's and it's definitely uh deserved for kenny's part but yeah we saw a lot of battle-tested hangman page in terms of his opponents with uh daniel bryan going an hour going an hour broadway uh we saw adam cole twice you know uh just a lot of lot of tough matchups here um a lot of kind of elements of being being the crowd being behind him and then sometimes the crowd not being behind him so again having been only the fourth champion and sort of being their sort of quote unquote first homegrown guy to hold the title. I think it was I think it was a good run, but yeah, I think it's capitalizing on the success and the bit of star power we have with Punk taking the title here, going in a slightly new direction, of course. Mm. And now we see, of course, as a follow-up to that, we had a uh, six-man tag on Dynamite, where we had FTR team up with Punk. To face the ass claimed, uh, the ass boys and Max Caster, where Punk and uh, FTR pick up the win, and then we we go all the way to a rampage where we have a, a town hall by CM Punk here. Uh, we notice when he comes out here, Punk is noticeably limping, uh, and he says he was going to wrestle and give it his all until the wheels fell off. He doesn't want to let fans down or to be disappointed. Every moment in front of the fans is a moment that Punk thought he'd never have again. Uh, Punk's injured and needs surgery. He was going to go uh, until, again, the wheels fell off, but the wheels are still there. Just one of them is broken. Punk told Tony Khan he doesn't want to hold the company up and the championship, including and includes Moxley and Danielson as uh, remarkable and well-deserved people who have a shot uh, in his stead. Khan says he believes in Punk, and it's just a bump in the road, and Punk needed to hear that. And ends it, of course, with the get-back is going to be bigger than the setback. So unfortunate that Punk is injured, and uh, Mm. it's a tough, tough break for him, only having won it at that point uh, at the part for the promo about five days beforehand. Yeah, uh, this is all very unfortunate. Um, now, obviously, we had mentioned earlier in the show about the MJF promo. Uh, those of you who have seen uh, internet uh, videos on YouTube uh, and Twitter and the like uh, will see that we had um, a little bit of a run-in from Punk uh, whenever it was on during the break. Um especially for myself in the UK, it was definitely not shown on the uh, on the uh, the TV. So whenever Punk did come out, he was wearing one boot, and he was heavily limping. Uh, I believe it was his left boot that he had off. I believe so. Um, and he did come down to the ring, and he was limping. He was moving quite quickly. So, you know, I was like, you know, that is a limp. That is not, you know, he's not wearing nine foot platform shoes where that makes a, that makes any lick of sense. That's a limp. What happened? Um, and then I was like, well, you know, it must have happened in the match where it got exacerbated, whatever it was, because it only happened just before 
this had gone on. Um, so clearly, uh, this was a little bit of a setup uh, from previous injuries. Clearly, um, it adds it adds more credence to his injury that he's been seen with the injury outside of uh, regularly scheduled programming. So uh, all the best, Punk. Uh, getting well soon. Unsure what kind of surgery he requires uh, because we do not know about the injury at all. We just know he is injured. My bones are broken, as he says. Um, he does need surgery that kind of, to me, says four to six weeks um, because there have been reports coming out saying that he is not dropping the title. He is holding on to that title, and in his promo, in his town hall, in his in his sort of uh, sort of blow off to the fans, he did mention John Moxley, and he did mention mention um, Brian Danielson, two individuals who are former WWE guys, who is much like Punk, a former WWE guy, lending credence to. MJF's qualms with the company earlier in the week. Yeah, so as a as a developing story at the time of recording, yes, Punk will remain champion. Uh, we will then have a piece to figure out an interim AW world champion. So on this week's coming Dynamite, we'll see a battle royal royale, excuse me, kick off Wednesday night's episode of Dynamite. The winner of that Battle Royale match will go on to face number one ranked John Moxley in the main event of Dynamite. The winner of that match will then go on to compete at the Forbidden Door against an as yet unnamed opponent to crown the interim champion. So, of course, uh, the Forbidden Door taking place on June 26. So, we have an interesting note again uh, that. We'll figure out who will now be an interim title. You mentioned, of course, uh, MJF potentially jumping into that battle royale, maybe winning to go on to face uh, Moxley in the main event who, to see who then gets to fight for the interim championship at uh, Forbidden Door. So it should be an interesting night on Dynamite for sure. I have some issues with this because there has been very little, uh, at the time of recording, very little further information and a lot of annoying information, if I can put it that way. Um, the information that annoys me the most is the fact that we're having this battle royal that initially, uh, to my understanding, was supposed to be against John Moxley for. You know, as the number one contender, as the number one contender, he is the number one contender. It, it's in the name. That individual is the contender for the title. In the absence of the title holder, the number one contender is oftentimes looked at as the de facto next one in line to pretty much win whatever you're going to put him in. So, cool. Now you gotta make him jump through hoops. We had Hiroshi Tanahashi show himself on uh, Dynamite this past week. Whenever was it this past week, yeah, it was. Whenever uh, Punk called out, "Who've I got?" 
calling out his match. Who have I got? Hiroshi Tanahashi comes out. Crowd goes nuts. Blows up. Absolutely amazing. And then, cool, we've got number one contender John Moxley versus Battle Royale. So now, at AW Forbidden Door, what's Hiroshi Tanahashi doing? What's John Moxley doing? Like, sure, okay, give those two guys a match, but is that going to be for the interim title? No, 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 no. We're going to do what our competitors do. We're going to add in superfluous steps that make no sense. We're going to WWE the absolute dickens out of this, and we're going to put in a battle royale. Then we're going to make that person go against John Moxley later on in the later on in the show because why not? Let's just go full fed right now, and it it annoys the heck out of me why they're doing this when they could just say Hiroshi Tanahashi versus John Moxley interim title. If I'm going to speak to your point about it being a little bit muddled down or a little bit convoluted. I'd honestly say it feels a little bit more of early TNA, where you'd have to uh, reverse battle royal, get into the, start on the outside, get into the ring, then if there's 10 guys, then it's a battle royal, and then it's down to the last two guys, then you have a singles match, or it could be a ladder match for that. We want to complicate it a little further, that notwithstanding. Uh, I want to say that, obviously, since it just happened, they don't have an exact plan at the very moment of all right well who should be who should be the interim person you know maybe specifically maybe that's not yet decided but hence the the notion of having a battle royal to face john moxley and then the winner of that faces a yet to be named opponent maybe that's tanahashi in the battle royal maybe that's tanahashi at the pay-per-view maybe it's not him at all so we'll we'll Again, this is an ongoing, developing story, so we will see as more information comes out. We shall see if my blood continues to boil and see if we can get a really, really good resolution or if he's going to Vincent Kennedy McMahon slash TNA this thing. All right, let us know in the comments down below, of course, on the video format on YouTube, what you think is going to happen with the interim AEW World Heavyweight Championship. And of course, moving on to our last segment here, we have Hell in a Cell coming up this weekend. We're going to start with our predictions, of course. We have just added on this past week's episode of SmackDown, the only representing SmackDown matchup here, of course, Madcap Moss versus Happy Corbin in a no-holds-barred match. Joker, what do you got? <laughs> do I have to pick anybody? Like, I don't want this match to happen. Like, why is this match here? Oh, uh, I get it, because it got a DQ on SmackDown last night. I yeah. will... I This is definitely not a pay-per-view matchup, with all due respect. I don't even think you need to add in with all due respect. This is not a pay-per-view level match when... Madcap Moss got injured a couple weeks ago because Happy Corbin decided, oh, I'm going to ruin your, your, your big statue of Andre, and then I'm going to go away for three weeks, and I'm going to turn up in my new black boxies out of an ambulance for no reason. I've not got any suspenders. But let's face it, Moss, you, you legitimately just walked out of there 
in a pair of black shorts with no suspenders, and that's the difference to your character. He's jacked as all heck. He's going to do really well in the company. Madcap Moss wins this because Happy Corbin can take the loss. Why is this on a premium live event? I'm going to agree with you on this one. Uh, Madcap Moss is now rebranded and has a slightly different gimmick, and he's, uh, you know, trying to obviously get the push, brother. So I also have Madcap Moss having the victory over Happy Corbin. I hate to say it, but this is not a pay-per-view matchup for sure. Nope, not for me, dude. Not for me. Not at all. All right, next matchup here, we have the six-person mixed tag team match of Finn Balor, AJ Styles, and Liv Morgan taking on Judgment Day of Edge, Damian Priest, and Rhea Ripley. Who do you got? So, we can't really call them Bullet Club, so I'm just going to call them BB Club. Because, you know, little, little, little baby bullet. Uh, the baby bullets are, are go up against Judgment Day. Um, and to be honest, I feel like this is probably one of the two matches that I like being on this card. Okay. If there is a distinct resolution. I mean, sorry, not two, three. There's three matches I like on this card. But. Of those three matches, this is one that I will only like if there is distinct resolution, and I never have to see these two at it again. Judgment Day takes the win. Alright? I still think they need this. AJ Styles and Finn Balor, to an extent, can take a loss. Liv Morgan, as well, can take a loss. I don't really feel like these three individuals from the Baby Bullet Club lose anything by losing uh, because Finn Balor's barely on TV anyway. Liv Morgan after this will barely be on TV anyway. Uh, and that is not a slight on either of their characters or either of their uh, individual ability. It's WWE's inability to use them properly. Um, I feel like Judgment Day takes the win here because Rhea Ripley needs to be big. Damian Priest needs to be big. Edge needs to recruit. I don't know. I kind of want Finn Balor to go to Judgment Day, but that's just personal preference. He is, you know, he's Finn Balor, Prince Devitt. You know, I just love the man. He's just Mr. No Carbs, Mr. Just Absolutely Unattainable Body Goals right there. He needs to join uh, Judgment Day and see more, see more TV time. I'll agree with you that Judgment Day is going to take the win. Obviously, establishing a new faction, um, especially led by Edge. Early on, you want to make them look strong and, and have them be taken seriously, of course. So I'll agree with you. They're taking the win. Um, I am going to see uh, have some interference by a new joining fourth member, that being Tommaso Ciampa. That way, you can have... Uh, Finn, AJ, and Liv still look strong because it wasn't necessarily the cleanest of clean wins. And again, I would like to see all six of these individuals uh, remain featured and remain strong, but I feel like an interference piece will at least A, get the win for Judgment Day, but then also not have it uh, be sort of a uh, huge crestfall for the losing party. I don't 
disagree or dislike the Champa edition, but having back-to-back pay-per-view uh, matches end in the same way kind of, to me, doesn't sit well. So I'm like, as much as I really want Champa, I'd kind of like Finn Balor betraying the Baby Bullet Club and sort of, you know, walking off and not helping them live, maybe taking the pin, um, and then coming out on Raw and being like, he's a new member, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so, I don't know. Yeah, six of one half. I wouldn't be angry at either of those. All right, we'll see what happens as well. All right, the uh, next match up here, the United States Championship. Champion Austin Theory takes on Mustafa Ali. Joker with his head in his hands. What's going on? Yeah. What do you got? So Theory wins this. Like I like I can just tell you straight up Theory wins this. Like I don't think that that is going to be a surprise to anybody. But Mustafa Ali is an extraordinary talent. He is Agreed. In my opinion, mediocre on the mic. He is good in spots. But not great. He is on par with Austin Theory because all Austin Theory can do is let's take a selfie. And he's a little bit of a creep. And, you know, you kind of want to slap him. He's like the the frat boy at the party that's like getting a wee bit too, uh, getting a bit too uh, white girl wasted as it was. Um, So, I mean, (sighs) Mustafa Ali wanted his release not too long ago. He continued to do his training, continued to be an absolute unit in the ring, uh, high flyer, absolute all-round, amazing personality in person, um, and he is being done completely wrong by uh, having him lose to this absolute jag-off. So it's unfortunate that um, that Theory is going to win here because I would really like to see Mustafa Ali uh, win the United States Championship match, and I could be proven wrong. And I know I said earlier on, I might not always be right, but I'm never wrong. But I will be willing to take the three count on this. I will be willing to take the the, the L on Mustafa Ali being the United States Championship uh, title holder because he deserves it. Uh, it's just unfortunate the theory's going to win. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you as well. That theory is going to win over Mustafa Ali. Uh, I feel like it's too early to take the title off of theory. Obviously, he is being pushed big time, thought very highly of uh, of management, of course, especially being in an angle most recently with Vince. Uh, Not many people can even get Vince on camera, let alone be have segments with him. So, of course, they're very high on him. I do see in this instance that with Mustafa Ali taking a loss, it will lead into a program with The Miz, of course, uh, so that's where I see that coming. I do, however, with uh, the pay-per-view being in the greater Chicago area, and of course Mustafa Ali being from Chicago, I could see them putting the title on him, but uh, WWE doesn't always have the best record of when folks are in or around their hometown uh, it's usually par for the course that they lose, but that notwithstanding, I see Theory taking the win. Yeah, definitely. AEW is the company to give the hometown hero the win. Definitely not WWE. Nine times out of ten, when you are at home, you are 
on your back staring at the lights. All right, moving on to the next matchup, we have Ezekiel taking on Kevin Owens. Who you got in this one? <laughs> Again, with Joker having his head in his hands. Uh, a wild Joker is disappointed. Why is this on the card? Why is this here? Because we All need right. more All matches, right. brother. <laughs> we, need, we need to have at least I six. Get I get it. Uh, but this is another one of the matches that I'm like, and even the last one might not have been as, you know, desperately bad, but why was that match on this card? Because the United States title needs to be defended. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, so does the Intercontinental title, but it hasn't been defended on pay-per-view since last year's WrestleMania when Big E held it. So, Jeez oh, Louise. Um, Kevin Owens is amazing. This Ezekiel storyline has been surprisingly good. It does not deserve to be on a pay-per-view, or sorry, as the Fed calls it now, premium live event. Um, because why change things? Um, I don't know who's going to win this, because to be honest, I want it to be a screwy finish and there to be a DQ uh, so that Ezekiel wins. Not because KO cannot take the pin, but because I feel like this story is going to keep going. Um, and to have Ezekiel win by anything other than a screwy finish is kind of going to be a little bit strange to me. I don't want this match on the card. I think Ezekiel's going to win because if Kevin Owens wins, what's the payoff? I'll agree with you. Uh, this is definitely not a pay-per-view uh, matchup here. Uh, I see Ezekiel taking the win over Kevin Owens. I see it playing out as there will be a distraction, an appearance by Elias will have been made, distracting Kevin Owens, allowing for Ezekiel to get the uh, Simon Miller uh, special backwoods or roll-up win on kevin owens winning that devastating move in all of sports entertainment shout out to the good brother full title shout out to the good brother uh, simon miller on that of course but yeah i see uh, i see ezekiel taking that again trying to establish a newer character continues the feud uh this is their first kind of or basically second match essentially between these two characters uh but yeah um yeah so I feel like we can have more of this storyline develop. Kevin Owens, of course, gives it socks and just is holding up this uh, end of the program here. But yeah, I see Ezekiel via distraction from Elias taking the win. All right, next up here, the two-on-one handicap match of Bobby Lashley, the Almighty facing Omos and MVP. What's going on with this one? I feel like it would be redundant to put my head in my hands again, but just imagine that's what I'm doing, because this match is again not supposed to be on my TV for money. Because why? Bobby Lashley's going to win, he's going to pin MVP, and that is the end of it. Please. There's, like, there's very little to say about this. Get Bobby away from Omos and MVP so fast. 
because he needs to be in the title picture. He is a unit. He is a champion. He is amazing. Omos and MVP are not. Get him away from them. Bobby to win. Once again, I'm going to agree with you on that. And Bobby Lashley will take the win here. Uh, obviously, some kind of distraction, some powerhouse stuff between Bobby and Omos. Uh, some legal interference uh, on MVP's behalf, little, you know, type of thing. But yeah, I, I see to protect Omos, uh, MVP is going to take the uh, pinfall or the submission by a hurt lock. But yeah, I see Bobby coming out on top. And, uh, yeah, hopefully moving on to bigger and better things. Fingers crossed. All right, the triple threat match for the WWE Raw Women's Championship as we see the champion Bianca Belair taking on Asuka and Becky Lynch. Joker, what do you got? Second of three matches that I actually like on this card, but it's going to be difficult to call. Uh, simply put, that this is going to be difficult to call because WWE don't always do what you expect them to do when it comes to Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch will always, always throw a spanner in the works, and it's not because you know, oh, she's got the she's got Vincent Kennedy McMahon's ear or anything. She's just a big deal, and ever since having her nose broken and becoming the man, a character which I will put straight out there. I hated. Um, but that's just me. Becky Lynch is Bianca Belair's sort of kryptonite. And I hope Bianca wins. Because I need her away from the Ask of Becky Lynch uh storyline, which I feel has been put into um, the title picture for no real reason because if we cast our minds back, Asuka had Becky's number. Like Asuka was pretty much the only person Becky could never beat. And then Becky, uh, or Asuka rather, won the Money in the Bank contract, and Becky came down, was holding the was holding the briefcase, you know, shenanigans there. Uh, and then came out and said, you're going to be the champion while I go off and have a baby. Absolutely lovely feel-good moment. Uh, Becky Lynch comes back and Ask is gone. We need to restart that rivalry uh, because they can both just absolutely go with each other and Becky needs the win over Asuka. Bianca wins, but I don't know who she pins. Fair on that. This one's a bit tough for me to call as well. Um, we look at obviously the three ladies here, uh, Bianca, Asuka, and Becky. Obviously three strong uh, performers as well as personalities. Uh, I'm trying to think back of who who do we have not not just on Raw's women division, but the the women's division as a whole. Like we just saw on SmackDown, obviously a six-pack challenge to face Ronda at some point down the line, which was won by uh, Nat Natalia. So obviously you have you have a, a sort of division, but like there's not much going on with uh, with Raw's women division at the moment. Uh, so for me, you know, we saw obviously Bianca being the champion hasn't really kind of 
had too much or has slightly taken the back seat to obviously Becky, Becky being incredible performer, Asuka finally coming back of a return three or four weeks ago and immediately put into the title picture because she's an incredible character as well as performer and wrestler. So, you know, she can be away and immediately be your utility player and your plug and play person. With that being said, you have the face Bianca, the face Asuka, and the heel Becky in the moment. Um, in my decision right now, I see Asuka taking the win because we've seen Bianca and Becky again for this, especially in the last year or so, that storyline being told, and we've told that. Uh, we can have a bit of a degree of slightly fresher matchups with either Asuka remaining babyface or turning heel in this matchup and taking the win. If you think about, we can have either a babyface Asuka or, or a heel Asuka have matchups against Bianca Belair. Of course, we had one slightly on uh, Raw this past week. Uh, we can have the run back with Becky. You can have Becky against uh, Bianca. Again, not specifically for the title because we've had that numerous times. But yeah, uh, for slightly fresher matchups, I can see Asuka taking it. I'm not mad at that. I don't personally uh, see uh, anything other than the Bianca thing happening, but I'm, I wouldn't be mad with Asuka uh, winning because, like you said, there is a distinct lack of um, ready-to-go talent for the main event because the only individuals I can think of uh, that are uh, available are Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan, Drop, and uh, Nikki A.S.H. So on Raw specifically that I can think of. And two of those are in a match earlier on in the card. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and none, none of the four that I named right now, like, I, like we, we had a conversation a while ago about Rhea Ripley and I wanted to keep her away from Bianca Belair. Um, for the foreseeable future because I needed Rhea to be built up to the maximum before she crushes uh, through having everybody on the way to beating uh, Bianca Belair eventually. Um, I can... Seeing your point and, and seeing seeing those sorts of things, I, I actually will change my pick to Asuka because that makes a lot more sense. Um... If Asuka's to win, though, she needs to pin Bianca, not Becky. I can see that, giving a chance for now Becky to have uh, a gripe, but then also Bianca to have that sort of baby face, you know, uh, chase because she got pinned and wanting to get her revenge. So, yeah, hopefully leads to, either way, some good storytelling. Fingers crossed. All right, and undoubtedly the main event of the night, the only Hell in a Cell matchup on a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. American Nightmare Cody Rhodes taking on Seth Rollins. Joker, what do we got? Adrenaline in... Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to do that to us. We all need our ears for uh, eventually listening to the rest of what I need to say. Cody Rhodes is going to take this because he is the American Nightmare and he is the biggest star in wrestling today. Um, legitimately, I am um, biased here. I really like Cody Rhodes in this match. I like Cody Rhodes because um, everybody hates him. And anybody who is coming from AEW 
to say that oh, I've always believed in Cody Rhodes. Be quiet, because the amount of hate that man got for absolutely nothing, just because oh he's doing the uh, he's doing the Jeff Jarrett thing of giving himself the title once. Like, yeah, but it was the TNT title, boys and girls. He took it off Sammy. Yeah, but look what Sammy eventually did. You know, there's so many things that you can blame Cody for, but uh, Cody has had a really nice little start to WWE here. Um, his run with Seth Rollins should have been done after the last match. I'm not a fan of this. I don't want it to be here because I don't want the match to happen. But the match has to happen, and Cody has to win. This is also uh, one of the internet's suspected shenanigan matches, um, so much so that people are hoping, crossing their fingers, that Bray Wyatt returns to beat up both of these boyos and cause a no finish on uh, the only Hell in a Cell match where there is no, uh, where there is no disqualifications. But then again, this is WWE, Hell in a Cell, no disqualifications. The Fiend, Seth Rollins, we all know what happened last time. Yeah, so you're taking Cody for this one. Yeah, uh, this is the third matchup, of course, third straight pay-per-view that these guys are going to fight here. Uh, for my prediction, I'm seeing it ending in a no contest uh, with interference. I don't see Bray Wyatt. Uh, I don't do that. Uh, if I had to make a statement in the right now, I'd say, which I don't really think is going to happen, but a returning Brock Lesnar will end up causing the no contest but that i'm going i'm going with no, no contest so no pt brock lesnar's boring the fiend so, come on that way um, if uh, it ends in no contest we can get a fourth matchup at the next pay-per-view for these two guys and if you're on the video format on youtube once again you see joker putting his <sighs> head in his hands Run it back I for a fourth I, time. I know I said it would be redundant if I did it again, but just the mere mention of a fourth match between these boys. Please, no. I will throw a temper tantrum because I don't want to see that. I don't even want to see round number three. Leave it alone. It was done in WrestleMania. It was super done in Backlash. It's now not even crispy done. In Hell in a Cell. That's why I want The Fiend to come back, because at least then uh, Seth Rollins can be like, you did it again in a Hell in a Cell match. Um, and then they can just go away and Cody Rhodes can can do something else. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be um, a Cody Rhodes win or a no, or a no, no contest. It's, I, just, I just need this to be done. I'm perfectly honest with you. All right, those are our predictions. Let us know down in the comments below or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram to let us know your thoughts on LNSL, of course. As we move on to the next portion, our quick hits. Once again, quick hits are little segments that happened throughout the week that we really enjoyed or popped the boys. And we got a real kick out of 
So I'll go ahead and start us off here. Uh, I just have a couple. Uh, during the uh, Jericho Appreciation Society Town Hall, we get Eddie Kingston and William Regal come out to challenge Jericho. And of course, we get William Regal saying the phrase, blood and guts, which eventually got scheduled for June 29th. So super popped for that. It's very nice. We, we, we wanted that for a while, and that was, was nice to hear. I know we legally can't say war games, but blood and guts will definitely suffice. Oh, I mean, if you had to come out and said war games, but oh, no, second take, uh, blood and guts, I mean, that would have been funny. <laughs> I kind of would have, I would have popped more for that too, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, second piece here, uh, after uh, Ortiz does a run-in against Jericho and cuts a bit of his hair, mat, hair off, rather, of Jericho, uh, setting up a hair versus hair match. Against Ortiz, Ortiz and Kingston on the ramp doing the sign language uh, motion for uh, BS or bullcrap. So, yeah, I, I was kind of like, wait, what are they doing? The, the camera kind of just panned away from them super quick, and I saw them do the whole thing, and I was just like, oh, that's that's BS. Yeah, there I, you go. I get that. I don't know sign language, but I get that. <laughs> yeah, that that one you can figure out if you don't know uh, sign language. So. And uh, my last quick hit of the week is during the Drew McIntyre New Day promo on this past week's episode of SmackDown. Uh, Drew says, of course, uh, with Big E being out, if uh, you ever need help, you can always count on your boy, Big D, because Big D always goes in. Xavier, uh, of course, asks Drew to explain his shirt, which reads, Kneel to the Steel. To which Drew responds, quote, I thought it was obvious you get down on your knees and being immediately cut off by Kofi and Woods to keep it PG. Yeah, I mean, I love the new day. I yeah. love Drew McIntyre. Drew is always up for a laugh. And uh, he got that kilt with Big D on the front. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely a lot of innuendo. It was very, very good. Oh. That's a very funny promo and a very uh, fun kind of segments for me. Uh, Joker, what have you got for some quick hits? I have, I've only got one quick yeah. hit this week. We, we talked about our, our MJF promo earlier on, which kind of really did pop me. Uh, but the only other quick hit that I had was leading out to the, uh, the six-man, the trios tag match earlier on AEW Dynamite with uh, FTR and Punk versus The Ass Claimed. We had Max Caster doing his, uh, doing his one of his probably best raps um, that uh, he made mention of Amber Heard losing her recent defamation case, uh, and then he uh, said Punk looked like he lived under the four hundred five. Uh, to which PT had to explain to me what the 405 was. It is uh, a so highway. You. Yeah, it's a it's a large highway in the Los Angeles area. So. Thank you very much. Yes. Yep. Uh, so I was like, okay, cool. That makes a little bit of sense. Uh, and then uh, we have FTR, who are an amazing tag team. Who Max Caster says they're really good, but uh, they have to ride Punk's coattails to get on TV. Um, so, I mean, everything he says was just straight fire. It's always Max Caster on the mic that wins the day, uh, followed by the ass boys doing something stupid. They need a map more so than I do because. Are equally terrible at geography, apparently. Um, and then we had the uh, resurgence of uh, Scissor Me Daddy Ass uh, from um, from our uh, from our good friend Anthony Bowens in his wheelchair. And every time he says it, 
it's just gonna get a big smile out of my face and either whatever time i'm watching it i'm gonna spit take my coffee in the morning or i'm just gonna choke on whatever i've eaten at lunch because it was it has happened both times yeah it's always always kind of fun and, and again we've uh we've said it a couple times but these guys especially now with uh the gun club or more specifically the ass boys now being uh partnered with the acclaimed uh just the ska between them and uh their interactions are always going to make you laugh mm, always oh. all right if you have uh, some quick hits for the week definitely let us know as well as we move on to the outro here, uh, that battle wraps it up for us. Joker, how is that for you this week? Recap definitely put into perspective some good points of uh, good points of the week for the wrestling and some some bad points, but it definitely felt really good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this was a quite the quite the week. A lot of wrestling this week. So uh, let us know down in the comments as well as on Instagram or Twitter your thoughts on MJF situation. Uh, your thoughts on Double or Nothing and your predictions for Hell in a Cell. So with that, that's going to do it for us. So for TF Joker. Thank you very much for stopping by and don't run with scissors. And for me, Pretty Tony, we thank you for your time and letting us be a part of your day. And remember, be good to yourself, be good to each other. And we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.